0: You're listening to Plans We Make. I'm Ryan Lott, founder, composer, and singer for Sunlux. And this is our first of three episodes discussing the theme of story with some of our favorite artists and collaborators. Today, I'll be talking with Johan Lemoine, the French music video director, graphic designer, and musician who records and performs as Woodkid. As a director, he's been sought after to direct videos for some of the biggest artists of the past decade, including Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Lana Del Rey, and Drake. He's also a platinum-selling recording artist, adventurous performer, and innovative film composer. I had the enormous pleasure of working for years with Johan on his second record, S16, which is out now. I co-produced and co-wrote some of the tracks, working slowly over long distance and in bursts of dedicated time together in LA and Paris. Check out the videos for Goliath and In Your Likeness for a couple of the tunes we made together. I had a chance to catch up with him again recently in his studio in Paris, and this is what we discussed. So, man, uh, thank you. Thank you again for joining us on this podcast thing. So we're doing we're basically each of us, Rafik and Ian and I are each doing an interview. And the overarching theme is is story. So and I thought you would be a perfect person for this podcast, because in addition to being a musical storyteller, you're a visual storyteller. You're a music director, creative director. And one of the things that I really admire about you as an artist is that. You seem to be able to balance multiple disciplines and you have a facility both technically and creatively across multiple disciplines and it's something that I'm that I'm totally unlike.
1: Well, yeah. There's so many connections too. It's still like some creative theories that I have about how to make things are compatible in music and sound. For example, right now my my whole brain is all about procedural uh, creation, which is really an idea of creating processes with the computer that uh, really help you uh, build something, and that's something that you can apply to music and to visuals.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so I've seen you. Wa- I've watched you work. Some. Um, you you do incredible CGI stuff, um, and I've have sat and watched. You've shown me these some of these processes where you uh, you apply a concept to uh you you apply parameters to to something and then and and it activates it and you you kind of like wait and you study and you capture certain i mean it's a lot like music in in or at least the way i i approach music um so i can relate to it but how much of it is for you is like like you say activating a process and then discovering the story in it and how much of it is you having a story in your mind and then using your tools to to make it come alive? It's always a balance. Like, for example, with the,
1: the computer, which I think is my main instrument, really, I always... I have an idea of a story or I have a seed. And the concept of seed is really something that is super uh, central to the idea of procedural work. Mm. It's, it's that 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 seed, literally, that you have at the beginning that develops. Over, um, over time through a process of algorithms and, and filters and uh, equations, and um, that you put like a chain reaction, and then you kind of define these parameters, so you get a first result, and then that first result will inspire you to um, develop your story or your narrative, and then you go back into the sh- chain and you change some parameters. Sometimes you just change the seed itself, and it goes through the chain again and gives you a new result. It's almost like sound-wise, it would op- obviously mean like a chain of of devices that alter your sound and transform it. But it it in in the visual world, and especially in the with the tools that I that I develop, I also there's that multiplicity idea that from one seed you can get multiple different results that become mm. really the panel of your colors and your textures and your images that create the final story. Mm. Um, I'm really trying to develop that with sound now. Um, it's almost like saying, oh, here's a, a note, a piano note, for example. And then then there's a series of parameters that will alter that sound, but they're also conditional to what they receive, mm. which means mm-hmm. that uh, you get this note, and in, in at a certain time in the process, you tell the machine, "Oh, if the if whatever you receive is more likely to be high harmonics and something very like solid and dense at the bottom, then you react like that." But the more it's going to be the opposite, then the more you react like that. And then depending on what you <laughs> feed him, all these things are conditional and interact with what they're being fed, and it. The more you have some um, devices on the on the process, the more it becomes like infinite. The amount of uh, of, of of results you can get.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I can totally relate to this, obviously. But I mean, so as as a as someone who does a lot of music videos and a lot of uh, work for fil- filmic work for clients for other clients. So you do a lot of work in the ad. In the ad world, but you know you've done you've done music videos for some of the biggest artists in the world. Um, when you first approach, is is your mind completely different in that in in that world? Because you have to approach those clients with since
1: I re- yeah since I work procedurally and I know the machine through machine learning through procedural workflow can really help me. I tend to really think in a way when I write stories that the machine will help me. More and more, Mm -hmm. right? So I, like you know, it's it's almost like you generate an image, but then you can do a Google search uh, on one image and it give you another series of images that look like it, and then it can become this whole like tree of research. It's kind of like that. It's it's seeding the machine with the first Mm. batch of ideas, and then orienting the research so that. Your storyline really develops from your initial ideas. And I also do that a lot because I, as every artist, I think I tend to have the same mechanisms over and over again. And I really like the idea of contradicting myself or finding a certain form of surprise in my work. And the machine is a super good tool. For yeah,
0: that. <laughs> it's something I talk about, um, I find myself talking about a lot in interviews, is how I yearn for surprise, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's the thing I want to be. I want to both steer and like what you're talking about is applying all these parameters and and listening and watching and then and but continuing to steer, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But each each steer, each like turn is of the wheel is um, ideally it's it involves it, it's catalyzed by some aspect of surprise. And that—that's yeah, yeah, to yeah. me—that's what makes the process so amazing. Working with machines, um, with with machines that can learn it, you while you're learning its capabilities. Yeah, you know, it's really
1: conversational, and it's really about uh, knowing the machine. It's it's always tricky for me because it's always a balance between telling stories with the machine and letting the machine take control of it. Sometimes. But not losing the emotion, <laughs> um, and not losing the um, humanity of things, and it's always something I have in mind. Like mm-hmm. when do I give too much control to the machine? When do I, When are my images too polished? When are my sounds too quantized? Mm-hmm. When are my uh, sounds too controlled, too too perfect or too clean? Yeah, and I think it's. Uh, in the procedural workflow that I that I work with, there's always that idea of finding a certain idea of realism in the images that I make. In a way, it's almost like in, in sound, it would be like, oh, you don't want your piano to sound too much like a MIDI piano, but you want it to sound like something that's organic, that feels that has an idea of variation and and, and life and air and felt sounds mm-hmm. and mechanisms. Mm-hmm. and So it sounds real and it's not repetitive. And I have the same kind of obsession yeah. sometimes, so yeah. it doesn't look like too CG, but still has a bit of like variation and accidents within it yeah. that are um, um, important for me. That really help us like help me bring back some an idea of emotion, and I love the ambiguity that it's fake slash real, that I think I've always been super interested about.
0: Yeah, I mean those two things. I think you know when we work together. A lot on your S um, sixteen record. Um, that was one of the things that was immediately like uh, simpatico with us, you know. Which is, we we love that line between the fake and you know the fake uh, and the real, the the familiar and yeah. the unfamiliar, um, but also. Um, this idea that you can you can never abandon the emotive quality of something that ultimately yes. that's that's the the rule that can't be broken. How does yeah, this yeah. resonate in my in my heart? Um, yeah, but at the same time, even though I think we have that in common inherently, I learned a lot from you in the process of working on that record. Um, like in a way, more disciplined about it than I was. Um, I, one of the things that I can do is I can get so enamored, like with, yeah, yeah, with yeah. the process and with the discoveries and the strange things that are happening, um, that I sometimes can lose, lose sight of that, that emotive quality, or I can, in the process of, dis- of discovering and discovering and s- discovering, I can, I can abandon something that I shouldn't have, you know,
1: I think I I think it's about giving your in, in these processes, which are kind of infinite. I've always tried to give myself a form of manifesto or a form of mm. um, set of rules, like not really if you in my case, like on S16, if I went far in production, I had to have un, super unproduced vocals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very simple, very raw, like almost one take and not like keeping the level of production for the music that we made and keeping the vocals more towards the realm of songwriting. Yep. Right. Um, so that there was always and for me, something comforting in the idea that it was not too alien. There was still like an, an open door for emotion. And and maybe I would make another record that's the complete opposite, which would be a super simple guitar I don't know, get a folk record, but the, the, all the work would be on um, making the voice super bizarre, for example. In yeah, in that process, so it, it's it's the same as a director is like you can make whatever you want in production and special effects and CGI effects and whatever you want. At the end of the day, you have a story to tell, and I always come back to the original point, which is what is it that I'm trying to tell with this piece? Right. Um, right. When I'm when I made when I made Goliath, I I had to talk to talk about the fascination I had for scale, for the for this kind of a certain madness, and uh, also the repulsion that I had for it. And it's always what I've always been connected to. And we shot it in a couple of locations. Uh, we also shot in a nuclear power plant. We shot in a hydraulic power plant. And at the end of the day, I killed the footage because I just realized that as much as I was happy with how the footage looked, it um, didn't really convey the story I wanted to convey. It just was it was a a distraction.
0: Yeah. See, that's exactly the discipline that I'm talking about, which is the willingness to uh, invest time and energy into uh, into something and resources yet remain honest and come out on the other end, making decisions that serve the story and serve the ultimate goal. I I, I don't think yeah I don't think anything is,
1: is sacred in music. I only believe that the story you want to tell is, mm-hmm. and I think that's the absolute only thing that only thing that matters. Yeah. And you know we talked a lot about that idea. Sometimes when you find a beat or a seed or something that is so precious, when you so sacred, when you find it and then you grow a song out of it. Mm-hmm. But then the seed disappears, like which is the concept of a seed, it just like grows a tree, but then there's no seed at the end. That whatever you believe is sacred at some point will always not be at some point. Mm. So it's if I think it's always kind of ephemeral, but the most important is 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 the original idea or the original story or what matters really that what it what it really cuts through, is it going is it is it readable? Is it hearable? Yeah, does it convey the emotion that you want to convey? And then if it doesn't, then you lost something sacred in the in in the process to the profit of something that was not
0: right. Speaking of uh, sacred and and goals, um, I remember you and I had a heated discussion once um, about the role of the live show. Do you? Yeah, do you remember our conversation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like, basically, your 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 whole like philosophy was that you know everything uh, in a in a musical project um, culminates in a live show, and if there is no live show, the live show is the, the ultimate expression where your connection, your live connection with the audience, is is paramount. Um, and I, (laughs) as someone who's like a lot less comfortable as a performer, um, although I've, I've, I've gotten a lot, um, more experience and and enjoyed a lot more, um, than I, than I used to, my, I, I, come at it in a very different, uh, way, but I'm, I'm curious, curious to hear you articulate, um,
1: yeah, I mean, I still, I haven't moved from that. I, I believe a lot in the concept of intellectual property in a way that a song is something that is. A concept that is a part that is lyrics, but that can take so many shapes. Mm. I mean, you've explored that in your uh, reinventions yes, of songs really. and that idea that a song can be multiple and it can. Um, I I only see the al- album as a testimony of what a song is at a certain moment in time. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's almost contractual for me. It's it's a oh okay, here's a song and it's almost like a birth picture because really. What you hear in a song, when you hear someone singing in a song, you just hear. The very first times a singer sing it, it's really a birth certificate. Almost Mm. at at best, I've sung a song 30 times when I recorded in studio and I will perform it hundreds and hundreds of times afterwards. So it will it will necessarily evolve Uh, the way I'm going to invest the words, the way I'm going to sing it is going to change. I'm going to find new ideas that I probably better uh, (laughs) over time, thanks to live and direction to the audience. So that's why I believe the concert is something sacred, not in a way that I see a concert as one concert. I see a concert as performing music live over time. Mm, That's, mm -hmm. that's 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 how I see the idea of live, is the idea that a song really takes its shape when it's morphing. And changing every night, and um, and I'm saying this knowing that I I like live shows that are extremely um, choreographed and faithful faithful and faithful to the record faithful to the record. Um, yeah. But with always a certain window of transformation that gives life to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, like I'm going to be touring again in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to. Um, um, play songs from my first record, and then I'm going to reinvent them. Yeah, uh, with the kind of like aesthetic of the new one, but I, I, they're still the same songs. But I'm, I'm probably going to like these versions more than the original ones because I've moved on and time has passed,
0: and I have other things to say. Um, yeah, you know, I see. I actually, I actually hear you in a different light than I originally heard you in our conversation. Um, when you explain it as the live performance is not just another document, right? Because you're saying that the the song, the recorded song is like a document, almost like a birth certificate. It's a it's a it's a, of a it's capturing it's or, or a photograph, whereas the performance I was in our earlier conversation, I was thinking of it as another document. Whereas you're saying no, it's a living, it's a living thing that ex- that evolves over time. It can be. There's always concerts that remain.
1: You know, um, I wouldn't say that I like the versions that remain on YouTube more than I uh, like the, the the album versions. But I actually tend to not like filming concerts and 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 giving away live versions because I think that's the impermanence of it is something that's very precious, especially in the times of. Uh, the streaming industry and whatever we do around music today, which is about producing and fix fixating everything on, on tape and then always, always producing content and blah, 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 blah. Uh, making something that's impermanent is just like music from the mouth to the ear and then nowhere else. I really like that mm. idea. It's also like th- there's something very pragmatic about this is that I have more fun on stage than I have in studio. <laughs> uh, yeah. Realistically. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun making this record, but... Um, there's still something very intellectual about making a record in studio. It's like because you know it's going to set the first stone of something that's going to take a lot of time afterwards, yeah so yeah. it is it is it is heavy in a way <laughs> for I, sure I, I take uh, life much less seriously. yeah,
0: and the live somehow. show is like the opportunity to um, to benefit from all the labor that you put into a record in a way, yeah you know and to let it blossom into its own you know flower, speaking of planting seeds and stuff. Um, yeah. But isn't your, your tune, Volcano, that, um, that only exists as a video, right? Is, or is there a recording?
1: Um, no, we, I think we tracked it and we put it on Spotify or something. Okay. But it's a song that I developed ex- exclusively for the live. Right. It was thought for, for the live. Yeah. And uh, it's been filmed because we made uh, some kind of light show on it. And yeah, but initially that, that is a live song. I don't even
0: sing on it. So that's a great that's a great example of how you you kind of think more holistically about like okay so the first time I experienced that video um, an incredible video incredible performance um, it, there's so much storytelling and so much um, beautiful imagery in it that to me, when I saw it, like the song is married to those images. I'll never be able to hear that song and not think of those 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 drummers. Or like the all big the, mis- yeah, 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 and like the, yeah. the whole, the, the procession and all like, there's something, the experience for me is audio-visual. Um, and I think more than anyone that I've worked with, you seem to attack your music with, the future in mind with meaning the visual in mind. I remember when we were working on S11 you, or S16, you were you had like, OK, these are these might be the songs I uh, I have. I have videos in my mind for and the songs were like still in their infancy. And you are yeah, yeah, yeah. you were already imagining thinking way ahead.
1: Uh, to be honest, I think maybe a little bit too much on this mm. record. I would do it differently if I went on in Europe. New- I would wait a little bit before I dive too much into visuals because I, I got disappointed on many levels on this record and the making of the visual content because I, this album took a lot of time mm-hmm. to be made. And I think at the end of the day, I, it's almost like, you know, ideas, they have a sort of freshness when they're new and then they kind of rot a little bit because you move on and because you evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think when it was about time to really make them happen, they were not really fresh anymore because that album took so much time. Yeah. So it's either going to be about making albums faster, <laughs> and you know, yeah. making it as a, 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 a just a slice of energy, and then it's just like yeah, yeah, or, or waiting before I I I move on too much to the visuals because I the process has been reward very rewarding on this, but. A bit painful on a personal level. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I can see that.
1: Knowing that we started to work in two thousand sixteen. I know that's crazy. January yeah. two thousand sixteen. That's right,
0: January two thousand sixteen. Yeah, my my four year old son wasn't no, wasn't even you weren't pregnant. Like he, yeah, we weren't even pregnant. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> So yeah. so nuts, man. There's so many changes and yeah. evolutions. Um, but you're also a busy guy. I mean, you were doing all kinds of stuff um, in between these. Uh,
1: You know, yeah, um, a little too much sometimes. Yeah, I I think I think the next when this tour starts, I'm going to have to start to do less. Yeah, Yeah. and and grow a little bit. Yeah, I think there's something very contemporary about this idea of like really questioning growth, Mm. Um, that idea of like, oh, what's next? That's bigger. Or Maybe the next thing is smaller, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right
1: and I can grow on many other levels but that the idea of like having so many projects at the, at the time like i is is a bit exhausting it's am getting older so
0: yeah i mean i think um among the silver linings of of the pandemic for me was was a little bit of that which was um obviously we as a band we were extremely prolific but it's kind of because we couldn't couldn't do much else right we had to limit the scope of you know, all our interactions and our yeah, trips yeah. and no touring and all this stuff. And suddenly it's um in, it's me in this room with this mic. And that meant a kind of concentrated energy that we could sustain longer than I think we otherwise could. And, and maybe there's a lesson there to bring forward into the next season.
1: I think it's also like I'm starting to reach the limits of making images and sound at the same time. Oh, yeah which I've done a lot recently, which I think I'm going to restart because I, I my level of expectation is higher on both levels as somebody I have to focus myself fully on, like at least for a long period of time.
0: I remember in the next room we were working in separate rooms, but near each other. And, you know, you'd go into like work on lyrics and, uh, and then I would come in, and you'd you'd be at the PC and not at the Mac, and you'd be you'd be like doing some crazy CGI stuff, and I, um, and I'd be like, yo, so like, how's that you know how's that verse coming? And you're like, oh, I'm not working on it. Enough, but I look what I did. I came up with this cool. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the story of my life, and it's a bit. Uh, I'm 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 working on it. I I I have an amazing uh, psychologist who was uh, helping me. Um, Redivide my brain a little bit yeah. and not fragment it, fragment it, mm. it so much yeah uh, because it's it can be it's it's, a, it's such an idea of hyperactivity that is fun but not not very fun all the time yeah I can um, understand that yeah it's, it's I think it's just I'm just calling it hyperactivity because it sounds good but I'm just a mess well so I'm just
0: <laughs> well as your friend <laughs> and someone who admires you um, the positive side of that is that you are gifted in um, in different ways, and I think it's it's more just maybe for you just parsing how to divide your energy. Yeah,
1: it's just that it comes with a lot of like insecurity on in many ways, on you know imposter syndrome and mm. all these things. Because you see, you know, when I work with you, like you work full time on music. Mm when I work with another director, he works full time on visuals. Yeah. So I always, wherever I go, I always feel like I'm a bit of an imposter because I don't spend as much time as anyone else uh-huh. on every subject. So I'm always trying to, like, balance by a, no, a treacherous amount of work right. and, yeah, yeah. and hours of work. but. I, I know a lot of people will still work like a treacherous a, a treacherous amount of work. but I just developed a double a CGI double of me, yeah. and I'm starting <laughs> I, to give him like.
0: I remember when you were first telling me about that. The, w- w- and, yeah, and now I've seen it. Next step
1: is is now I'm fitting him with like AI patterns that where it's gonna start to like be able to do stuff for me. Are you gonna have a duet with yourself on on the stage? I I could. It's it's stunning to learn how to sing like me. Amazing. Literally. Amazing. <laughs> I'm so crazy, dude. Neural network fitting him with my voice, just so learning how to sing like me.
0: Does he have a, does he have a name or is, are you calling him Johan? Not really. The av- avatar,
1: but yeah. it's kind of
0: tacky. Wh- uh, wood Boy or something?
1: <laughs> wood, wood Kid 2, I don't know. I don't have a name. We should find him a name.
0: Uh, well, uh, I got to wrap it up now. But, dude, uh, thank you so much for um, you know, Thank you. Time. It's
1: amazing. Congratulations on this uh, hundreds of albums yeah. <laughs> released in the meantime. Oh man! I don't know how you do it. There's... It takes me seven years to make one. <laughs> I really admire that.
0: Well, I can't make uh, robotic dogs, and I can't, um, I can't clone myself in the digital realm. So, uh, you know. Well, if you took seven years to do it, maybe. you Maybe could. I could. Maybe I'll, g- I'll give you that. Thanks to my friend Woodkid, Yoan Lemoine, for joining me. He's in the thick of really insane programming and rehearsing for a huge tour. Check out his Instagram. He does massively impressive orchestrated shows, so I appreciate him making the time for us. Head to woodkid.com for more about his work and follow him on all the usual social media networks if you feel so inclined. Plans We Make was created by me, Ryan Lott, Ian Chang, and Rafiq Batia, and was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Special thanks to executive producers Michael Kaufman and Hannah Hauser for all their support. And be sure to subscribe to Plans We Make wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, guitarist Rafik Bhatia will be taking the host studios and interviewing poet and educator Mitchell L.H. Douglas. And drummer Ian Chang will follow that up with an episode talking with rapper and producer Nappy Nina. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast or our YouTube channel to get those conversations. I'm Ryan Lott.